With Tziyata Dishmaya, now let's continue and let's learn Achavas Yisrael as brought down by the base Chalevi. Now let's talk about Yom Kippur. We're going through these days, of course, because these days of ours are days of all that we should be living our daily lives with. So let's understand them very well. So it's customary at the start of our Yom Kippur prayers, preceding the recital of Kol Nidre, that we proclaim that we are including among us the sinners who were excommunicated from joining the shul due to specific sins. And they're hereby permitted to join us for the prayers. So why do we lift this ban on Yom Kippur? So the Gemara states any fast day that does not include sinners is not considered a fast day. It explains that the Ketores, the incense that was offered in the Bekni Dash, consisted of 11 spices. Ten of them had a pleasant aroma and the 11 spice, Helbena Galbunum, had a foul odor. And nevertheless, the Ketores is deemed invalid unless all 11 spices are present. So too on a fast day, when we unite in prayer, we have to include sinners with us. And uh, Rabbeinu Gershom points out that these sinners are people who wish to join in the fast, which shows their current desire to repent. So why is it so important that sinners are included? Maharal explains that when a wicked person humbles himself and repents, he arouses Hashem's mercy much more powerfully than when a righteous man does teshuva. And therefore, on a fast day, when we beg Hashem to have mercy on us, we include sinners, hoping that their repentance will arouse Hashem's mercy. And this is true on any fast day, but it's even more so appropriate to apply this concept on Yom Kippur. And there are many Jews who perhaps never enter a shul to pray during the year, but on Yom Kippur, they make an effort to join. And many times they stand out from the crowd, whether because of their lack of knowledge of Judaism or their inappropriate attire. But when we see such a person, we must not under we must not underestimate what he can accomplish. And maybe very well be that because of him, Hashem will answer the congregation's prayers. And so a fascinating thought of Rav Yosef Shlomo Kahaneman, the Panavicher Rav, further elucidates the power of a sinner's teshuva on Yom Kippur. The Torah in Bereshit relates the story of Yitzhak Avinu and the blessing he gave to Yaakov. As we know, Yitzhak planned to give the blessing to Esav, but at the behest of Rivka, Yaakov dressed as Esav and received the blessing in his place. So when Yaakov came close to Yitzhak, the Torah states, he, Yitzhak, smelled the fragrance of his Yaakov's garment, Begadav, and blessed him. And in the verse, the word Begadav means his garment. However, the Midrash teaches that we should not read it Begadav, but Bogdav, meaning its traitors. The Midrash explains that when Yaakov came before Yitzhak, the latter foresaw with Ruach HaKodesh that a traitor would be born among Yaakov's offspring. Nevertheless, Yitzhak blessed Yaakov. And who are these traitors descended from Yaakov? The Midrash illustrates with the story of Yosef Mishisa. When the Romans invaded Jerusalem, they wanted to enter the Beknidash, but they were afraid. Instead, they announced to the Jews that anyone who entered was permitted to take from it whatever he wanted. And one wicked Jew, Yosef, Misisha accepted the Romans offer and entered. He came out holding the menorah. And the Romans told him that such a glorious and beautiful article was appropriate for a nobleman, not a commoner. And they ordered him to go back and take something more befitting his statue. But he refused. And they offered to give him all the taxes they would collect for the coming three years. But he refused. I angered my God once, he said. Now you want me to anger him a second time? So the Romans tortured him to death. And as he suffered, he cried out, Woe that I angered my creator. And a heavenly echo proclaimed that he was destined for Gan Eden. 
And this was one of the Jews whom Yitzhak Avinu sends. It was the stench of a terrible sinner, a traitor in the most awful terms. But nevertheless, as the verse tells us, he smelled the fragrance of Gan Eden. So the Panovich Arav comments that Yosef Mishisa obviously was a Jew who lacked any iota of seventh sensitivity towards the Bektamidash. Furthermore, he was willing to initiate the destruction of the Bektamidash, setting the stage for the Romans' assault. Even so, in the span of a moment, he repented, dying the death of a martyr and meriting gentry to Gan Eden. And how did he undergo such a total transformation? The pun of the Cherav answers simply, Yosef Mishisas entered the Bet Amidash. His soul was exposed to the highest level of holiness on the earth. The immense Kedushat turned him around. And such is the power of holiness. It can take the most desensitized soul and ignite its inner spark. And a surge of holiness takes place on Yom Kippur. Even the most distant Jew who transgressed Shabbat freely, eats non-kosher, and violates hundreds of other halachot, feels that on Yom Kippur it's different. His soul responds to the Kedushah, and he feels compelled to join the prayers. And just like the holiness of the Bet Amidash, the holiness of Yom Kippur can turn someone around. And we must not judge a person by the way he looks as he walks into a shul on Yom Kippur, because the way he walks in may not be the same way that he walks out. And Bezat Hashem will have a positive outlook on those people who appear distant and understand that they too can turn around. And furthermore, we must remember that we need these people in shul, like the 11 spice of the Keturahs, that they are what makes our prayers accepted, since unity affects their completion. And we mentioned the story of Yaakov as he came before Yitzhak to receive his blessing. We quoted the Midrash. It teaches us the word, the word Badagav used in the verse can mean his traitors. And the verse continues. He says, he said, see, the fragrance of my son is like the fragrance of the field that Hashem had blessed. And Rashi explains that when Yaakov came before Yitzhak, the aroma of Gan Eden entered with him. And this seems perplexing. If Yitzhak was sensing the traitors, who would come from Yaakov? How can it be that he inhaled the fragrance of Gan Eden? And Rav Yaakov Galinsky offers this explanation. The verse does not state explicitly that Yaakov sends traitors. It uses the word Begadav, his garments. And the Midrash teaches that it can be read as Bogdav, his traitors. This teaches us that when a Jew rebels, although his actions are wicked, he still has a Jewish soul, and the rebellious state is only his clothing. It's not his true self. And no matter how far a Jew has fallen, he has a Jewish soul waiting to be ignited and to return, just as with Yosef Meshisa. Yitzhak was able to look past the reek of the traitor, because when he saw a traitor, he recognized the hidden Jewish soul, and the Jewish soul will always have a scent of Gan Eden. And the Gemara teaches that Hashem judges a person according to his state at the time of judgment. Even if Hashem knows that in the future this person will sin, if at the time of judgment the person is still innocent, he is a judged innocent. And based on this, in Masechet Chokmah, raises an eye-opening point. In the days of old, the majority of the Jewish people were involved in agriculture, and their primary source of livelihood came from farming. Indeed, many of the mitzvot, as well as Yamim Tobim, revolved around the farming cycles. And during the winter months, which is the rainy season, the Jewish farmer would spend his days learning Torah and doing mitzvot. And the non-Jewish farmer, however, would spend his free time indulging in worldly and forbidden pleasures. During the summer months, the days of harvesting the crop, both the Jew and the non-Jew were busy in the fields. And this would leave the Jew with little time to learn and do mitzvot. And the non-Jew would be too busy to sin. 
And therefore Rosh Hashanah approached. The Jew will become, will be in a worse state than the non-Jew. So the Jew is now short on Torah and mitzvot as he was busy in the field during these last few months. While the non-Jew is free of sin, it would seem observes the Mesech Chokmah that Rosh Hashanah should ideally fall around Pesach time. Then the Jew would be filled with the Torah and mitzvot he had accumulated over the past winter. While the non-Jew would be filled with sin. Why is it just the opposite? Mesech Chokmah offers an amazing explanation based on the following incident related in the Gemara. A man named Benjamin Hasadik was in charge of distributing his town's charity funds. And during a time of famine, a woman approached him begging for food. Benjamin sadly replied that the funds had been depleted. The woman persisted, saying, Rebbe, if you don't provide for me, a woman and her 11 children will die. Benjamin gave her money from his own pocket. And sometime later, Benjamin became ill and he was on the verge of death. The heavenly angels came before Hashem and pleaded, Master of the world, you have said that anyone who sustains a soul from the Jewish people is considered as if he sustained the world. And this is Benjamin Hasadik who gave life to a woman and her seven children to die at such a young age. Immediately the decree was revoked and an additional 22 years was added to Benjamin's life. We can conclude from the name Benjamin Hasadik that this was a man filled with mitzvot and good deeds. Nevertheless, he was granted another 22 years only in the merit of saving this woman and her family. And this is because Hashem deals with people's midah kenege midah. Since Benjamin needed the gift of life, he was granted it in the merit of the life he gave to others. And the same is true regarding Rosh Hashanah. On this day, we are judged as worthy of being written in the book of life or heaven, God forbid, in the book of death. True, true, we may have many merits from our Torah and mitzvot, but that may not be enough because to merit life, we must give life to others. And therefore, Hashem specifically chose this time of year, the harvest season for the day of judgment. And we know every Jewish field holder must leave parts of his field as well as forgotten stalks and bundles for the poor. And although perhaps during his life, this time of year, the days were not spent in the Bet Dash, they are they were spent giving charity. The days leading up to Rosh Hashanah were days of feeding poor families, giving them sustenance in life. And this is the greatest merit of all for Rosh Hashanah. Because when we give life to others, Hashem reciprocates. And this is a crucial lesson for us. True, the merit of Torah and mitzvot is outstanding. Nevertheless, if a person wants to be granted life, the best way to ensure this is by giving life to others. And the point is illustrated in the following powerful story. During World War II, Rav Yitzhak Zev Soloveitchik, known as a Briska Rav, had to flee from Brisk to Vilna. In the process, he and his wife became separated. While the Briska Rav was in Vilna, the Gadol Hador, Rav Chaim Olzer Grozensky passed away. And the Rav, everyone in his household, wanted to go to the funeral of the Gadol Hador. But one of his youngest, younger daughter was sick, and she couldn't be left alone. And no one wanted to miss the funeral. To put the matter in perspective, the Briska Rav told his family of an incident that had happened to his grandfather, the Beis Halevi. An Arab Yom Kippur, the Beis Halevi was on his way to shul when he overheard an argument in one of the homes along the way. He discovered that one of the children was sick. Someone had to stay behind with the child and the family members were arguing about who would miss going to shul the night of Kol Negrei. And the Beis Halavi told them, you should know that one who stays, stays behind with a sick person will be blessed with a better year than the person who goes to shul to create a good year for himself. 
It is interesting to note that in many communities, the summer is a time of fundraising and charitable events with a full calendar of parlor meetings, bake sales, Chinese auctions, and appeals and shuls. The amount of charity given is overwhelming. And perhaps since we don't have an agricultural society today, Hashem found other ways to give us the opportunity to gain this merit of giving life to others just in time for Rosh Hashanah. And Aktus is a mikveh. Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Kosov, Ahava Shalom Parasha Vehakel offers this fascinating, slightly Kabbalistic idea. As we know, Hashem is referred to by various names. The first name he revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu was, I shall be as I shall be. This is seen in Shemot. He writes that when the Jewish people gather in unity, they arouse this name of Hashem. The name itself provides a hint. Spelling out each letter of the name gives us Aleph, Hey, the Yud, and the Hey. And the numerical value of these letters is 151. The numerical value of, and he assembled. And this is the same numerical value of Mikveh, a body of water that purifies. Thus he says, when the Jewish people come together, we arouse this name of Hashem, and we receive great purification, equal to the purification of a Mikveh. And so furthermore, regarding Yom Kippur, the Mishnah, States, Rabbi Kiva says, fortunate are the Jewish people before whom you are purifying and whom purifies you, your father in heaven. As it says, Hashem is the mikvah of the Jewish people. Hashem himself is a mikvah. Perhaps this refers to Hashem's name, which has the power of a mikvah. Additionally, the very same Mishnah teaches that Yom Kippur does not atone for sins that were committed between man and his friend. Based on the above, we can explain that the mikvah purification process of Yom Kippur can be effective only if the Jewish people are united as one. For only through Akdus, unity, can we arouse the name of Hashem representing the purifying mikvah. And to achieve the kapara of Yom Kippur, we must be together with our fellow Jews because that is what brings the purity down from heaven. The Jewish people united are a mikvah, the mikvah of Hashem. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, Amen Ve'Amen.